and welcome to our podcast, The Asphalt Story. Today, we want to give you an overview on the impact uh, to the European and African asphalt market from Russia-Ukraine conflict and other market disruptors. I'm Marina Vinogradova, Senior Manager for Argus Consulting Services. And with me today are Kevin Heidwald, Editor of Bitumen Report covering Europe and Africa markets, and James Fernandez, Manager in Argus Consulting, responsible for crude and refined product coverage in London office. Kevin, would you like to start and help me out with uh, a very burning question that we've been asked many, many times this year? What is the impact of the halt of Russian crude and products, including bitumen, um, into Europe due to sanctions? Thank you, Irina, um, for the introduction. And uh, yes, this has been the uh, burning issue. It was a burning issue last year, and it's become seems to be a never-ending story now. But uh, on top of that, is uh, overlaid the actual uh, the sanctions, uh, which have come fully into into play uh, from the EU and UK, you know, the, since late last year and in, and into this year for crude and products. So yeah, there's definitely been a noticeable and significant impact on uh, uh, bitumen supply uh, as a result of these sanctions and as a result of the war. Uh, you know, what used to be 400 kT a year or had reached 400 kT a year in terms of uh, Russian uh, exports, which were from the Baltic ports um, to West European and North European markets, um, uh, had already fallen by half last year because of self-sanctioning, but also uh, and now, of course, has come to nothing. So that's the bitumen side of it itself. On top of that, of course, uh, yeah, the um, uh, sanctions on Russian euros, of course, has been a major factor uh, because, of course, euros have a high yield, you know, or good yield of bitumen in them. And uh, that was responsible for, you know, a, a large chunk of the bitumen production across Europe. So that that went. But of course, uh, and that meant that uh, refiners had to switch to a whole range of alternatives and uh, with various yields, you know, some of the clear alternatives uh, to euros, uh, bitumen wise, have been Norwegian. Uh, Johan Sverdrup, uh, uh, which is a North Sea, one of the main North Sea crudes. There's been Iraqi, Saudi, and Latin American crudes. So the, the, just to various degrees, there has been some uh, successful switching from euros. But uh, on the other hand, overall, the, the, the overall trend has been uh, towards uh, generally lighter and sweeter crudes uh, on balance. You know, And that, of course, has uh, been geared more to producing products like diesel and gasoline and less so uh, for heavy products like bitumen. Uh, so all these factors, uh, plus the uh, halt to uh, Russian flows of euros uh, through the Druzhba pipeline, that's of course part of the whole sanctions package, whether it's by ship or by uh, Druzhba pipeline into a number of European refineries, these have all had major impacts. Of course, the Druzhba halt have been mainly affecting uh, Poland and Germany, uh, Polish and German refineries. Um, which are, you know, which have had various degrees of success in terms of, uh, you know, getting away from Urals uh, uh, and bringing in other uh, crudes. Uh, most notably, the Polish refiners have been to be able to bring crudes from uh, via Gdansk. And so, in fact, the late, some of the latest data shows there's been a sharp jump, in fact, uh, uh, in Polish bitumen production compared to what it was last year. So uh, some have been successful, not so others, like PCK, the, which was, of course, uh, owned by Rosneft, Russian firm, uh, you know, the PCK refinery in Schwedt in eastern Germany. Uh, so not, not such a great result for them. But uh, in that case, there's been some small sort of return to between production by now using some Kazakh crude. Um, but uh, yeah, there's been all these problems which have limited supply and production. There's been feedstocks, of course, like uh, Russian high sulfur straight run fuel oil, which was an important feedstock for bitumen production 
looking at various European refineries, uh, and that also was stopped by the sanctions. Uh, uh, and then there's been other factors, of course, as you mentioned before, other drivers come in as well, uh, which we didn't expect, uh, like uh, you know Turkey uh, stopping uh, the flows of Iraqi, uh, northern Iraqi crude, particularly Kirkuk, which is very uh, rich in bitumen, uh, and uh, via Jehan, uh, the Jehan terminal. So some of the refineries in um, central and uh, southern southeastern Europe have uh, have suffered from that. Uh, whether it's like Nis refinery in Panchevo, Serbia, or OMV refinery in Svekat in Austria. Uh, to some extent, we think also Miro refinery in southwest Germany. Uh, so yes, there's been all these impacts. Yeah, that's that's yeah. I would say that is the case. Certainly on the supply side, it's uh, it's been uh, yeah quite a diminishing yeah, yeah it's, uh, quite a uh, tightening impact on uh, on crude bitumen crudes and bitumen supply. I would say. Thank you, Karen. That's quite a gloomy picture that you're painting. Can you talk us through maybe some of the drivers on the demand side? So what is the state of road and general construction activity? What is the impact on bitumen demand? How are the supply-demand fundamentals evolving during the peak paving season? And generally, what should we expect for the remainder of the year? Yes, I mean that's the the flip side of the matter. Basically, we've had uh, you know the the production and supply falling, and that was expected to cause a real tightness uh, in the market uh, coming to the peak season. But uh, in fact, that's not happened. Why? Because uh, the demand has also been poor uh, or lackluster, and it's not been anything like what uh, the usual paving season would bring in the spring through to summer period you know there's been uh, issues like uh, inflationary pressures like budgetary constraints uh, other priorities for capital investment and other spending by governments which have together meant that there's been uh, um, you know not as much uh, you know in many cases reduced uh, rates of activity um, and demand uh, so UK for example bitumen consumption or asphalt consumption um, has been down uh, you know the last figures show you know uh, for the first four months of this year it was down 2.4 percent from last year French consumption in the first half uh, French stats showing nine percent fall uh, Germany more, more dramatic than that at least for the January to April period, uh, which is what we have so far, uh, 24% down uh, from last year, the same period. Um, yeah, so yeah, a lot of key economies have seen sharp falls in activity and demand. Uh, that's also been the case in Romania, for example, uh, you know, where funding hasn't come through, which is supposed to, major blocks of funding, uh, and other Balkan countries too. Um, but uh, yeah, there's one or two notable exceptions, like Spain in the first half of this year has been a very busy country in terms of construction activity, roads and highway projects. Uh, elections always help. There's been local elections, uh, and then that was followed by uh, general elections, of course, last this past Sunday, um, and so that has uh, so helped to generate a lot of work and a lot of demand, and uh, demand levels sharply up uh, in the January to May period of this year against last year. So, uh, so, th- but that's probably the notable exception, really. Um, others have either been stable or falling, uh, and in the Mediterranean, which have come p- as part of the same uh, market, you know, where you look at uh, the Mediterranean market, is both consists, of course, of the European Mediterranean countries and North African countries. Uh, we again, we sort of mixed picture with Egypt because of financial problems, because of uh, currency issues, um, uh, credit issues have, uh, which of course have persisted also across much of uh, sub-Saharan Africa as well. Um, because of a combination of these factors, they've not bought a single ton of bitumen in, term, in terms of cargoes 
whereas it used to be something like typically 60,000 tons a month coming into Alexandria, uh, EGPC would issue these monthly tenders, but not a, not a bit of it at all this year and still waiting to see if and when they will return to the market. So there's a whole number of factors which have meant demand has been much lower than expected. The other factor that was being looked at because of the um, uh, anticipation that uh, there was going to be a real, you know, strong seasonal demand uh, in Central and North Europe, uh, that there would be naturally, because of MED having relatively surpluses in bitumen production, uh, and not affected so much at all by uh, Russian sanctions because of the, uh, they can get, they have ready access to uh, lots of uh, local crudes, uh, whether it's Mediterranean or Middle East crudes and so forth. Uh, for a variety of reasons, there's been much more supply from the Med, and that had led to expectations that there was going to be a, a large-scale flow from the Med to the north of cargoes. Uh, and uh, yes, while that has happened to some extent, um, it's been limited largely to volumes moved under term arrangements on larger tankers uh, and not so much on the smaller ones. And recently, uh, very hefty moves in uh, Mediterranean high-sulfur fuel oil, which is uh, traditionally used and still used as a marker for bitumen prices, you know, like it or not, logical or not, uh, for those reasons, uh, that uh, has complicated matters further, making it more difficult to, to work the economics of any spot flows uh, from the Mediterranean to Northern Europe. And on top of that, uh, freight rates for bitumen tankers have risen sharply. There's been hefty gains this year. There's a shortage of tankers and high, consistently high bunker prices. A number of factors have led to much higher freight rates, which have further made it difficult, uh, you know, uh, to make these arbitrages work. So that is really the picture. It's much more, you know, of a bearish picture than anyone had would have anticipated at the beginning of this year. And I don't think there's any expectations of things improving significantly for the rest of this year. Uh, we might see a sudden bounce in activity in autumn, uh, as often happens. Maybe funds will come through. Even Spain, I think, there's likely to be a sort of slowdown in activity because much of the work has already been done pre-elections. So there's a lot of uncertainty now also because of the uncertainty over who's actually won the election and who can actually win uh, form a new government in Spain. Thank you. Um, you kind of touched on uh, where the flows went, but were there any additional uh, workable outlets for the European between surpluses? Because as we discussed, the demand picture was uh, rather lacklustre. Yeah, I mean, um, usually uh, the, the most obvious uh, market that uh, uh, European exporters would look to is the US. That's where the usual traditional outlet, you know, and that has been conspicuous by its absence. Uh, rate of project work has been, yeah, has been okay, but not great. There's been plenty of supply, with whether within the US or from Canada or elsewhere uh, in the Americas region to supply the requirements. Uh, price movements have been too volatile in terms of crude and fuel oil to for people to be able to commit to and uh, and lock in sort of value prices to make those arbitrages work for those cargo movements uh, from the Europe, particularly the Mediterranean, to the US. Uh, so a number of factors have stopped that, but there have been other. I mean, uh, Latin America has continued to be an important, um, uh, you know, outlet uh, for Mediterranean volumes. Um, uh, there's some, some concerns now about Argentina having some economic issues which may limit things, but overall uh, there's still a, that regular flow to various markets like, uh, you know, Brazil, also Argentina or Uruguay at times uh, and so forth. Um, and also uh, West Africa. 
uh, you know, in particular Nigeria, has been very busy in the first uh, first half of this year. Um, uh, during the dry season, the rainy season kicked in. Uh, about a month ago, and so that's reduced things somewhat, uh, activity and requirements, but that was uh, important. And the sizable flows went there, a number of large trading firms that haven't been actually uh, exporting much uh, in recent years uh, in a significant way uh, to Nigeria did do so with large cargoes um, uh, going in, in there and, uh, and discharging into smaller vessels that then go into the various Nigerian terminals. And there's also been... Um, uh, demand into South Africa, of course, which has been rising steadily uh, with no, you know, with hardly any refining, uh, bitumen producing refining capacity there still. And so, you know, we've seen um, a significant rise in imports, it's, uh, much of them coming from the Eastern Med, uh, some of it actually also from elsewhere, like Bahrain, for example, has become more important uh, in the last few months uh, and occasionally from Asia. There's been a variety, but that has also hel helped take some of the volumes out of the Med. Overall imports in South Africa have already reached about 120,000 tons in bitumen cargoes uh, this year, um, and that was against uh, 100,000 tons for the whole of last year, uh, and nothing previous to that. Uh, and uh, the expectations in the market are it will be 200 or 250,000 tons perhaps uh, by the time this year is out in terms of those flows. So there has been some uh, flows, nothing eastbound to in terms of Asia bound, uh, which used to happen at times, or to Mideast Gulf bound like Qatar. But uh, yeah, so the limited export outlets, but significant ones nevertheless. Thank you. That has been rather comprehensive. Um, I was thinking that maybe we should uh, um, continue with the further, further outlook. So, James, maybe you can help us with um, talking through what are the demand drivers that you see being important in the uh, next few years and how do you think these are going to impact the demand in Europe, for example? Yeah, thanks, Rina. I can certainly do that. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to build on the kind of the gloomy picture that KBAN has already painted for us so far this year. And I, yeah, I think the main driver for asphalt consumption in the European region moving forwards is going to continue to be the wider macroeconomic picture. So as KBAN's already mentioned, the region seeing very high levels of inflation. Um, I mean, this really stemmed from the global COVID-19 crisis where at that time we started to see global supply chains starting to get disrupted. That had an impact on costs all along the, the supply chains, and that eventually trickled through to higher consumer prices. This now has obviously been compounded by the effect of the Russian war in Ukraine. So in the immediate aftermath of that last year, what we saw was rising costs of energy, rising costs of food, and all of these, as I say, compounding the effects of disrupted supply chains. So at, time, inflation, at times, inflation in Europe has touched 10%. It's, it's come down slightly from those levels now, but continues to be very high. And the thing that central governments have done in order to battle inflation has been, of course, to hike interest rates. The, the idea in doing so is to cool the, the demand side of the equation and try and bring supply and demand into some kind of equilibrium. But rising interest rates, which are now close to five, five or six percent, this is the crucial driver for, for asphalt, I think. 
again, as Kayvan's really touched upon, with with interest rates at those levels, it's going to be hard for for governments to con- to continue to spend as freely as when interest rates were much lower. So, I mean, a lot of the major European economies are running their their budgets at a deficit. These countries have fairly high debt to GDP ratios. And so with higher interest rates, that involves a higher level of debt resurfacing. And so it just reduces the amount of money that governments can spend on on public spending projects. And I think that probably highways budgets and road spending are, are probably likely to be the, the, the programs that get cut first. And we've been we've been seeing a couple of examples of those a few announcements coming out from different countries. So, for example, here in the UK, the highways budget is contained within a program called the Road Investment Strategy. So we're currently in the second phase of that program, RIS2, which covers the period 2020 to 2025. The third iteration of that program, RIS3, which will cover the period 2025 to 2030, uh, it's already been suggested that that the spending uh, for that phase of the program will focus a lot more on road maintenance uh, than on new infrastructure projects, new road building projects. And so that, of course, will lead to lower levels of asphalt consumption. Similarly, another major consumer within the region, Germany. So in fact, Germany has had fallen into a recession uh, in the fourth quarter of last year and the first quarter of this year. So the country's facing really mounting challenges from the macroeconomic front. And the the finance minister earlier this year mentioned that the country is really grasping the kind of the financial reality that comes with having a war, having a conflict on the doorstep of the continent. Uh, and so 30 policy bills have already been either delayed or suspended within Germany. Some of those would have pertained to, to infrastructure spending um, policies. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to continue to be the theme moving forwards. As long as interest rates remain high, I think it's likely that we're going to usher in a, a new era of austerity. It's going to be difficult, as I say, for governments to find money to spend on infrastructure projects. And as a result, our outlook for demand for, for asphalt over the forecast period is much lower than it was uh, kind of pre, pre-COVID, pre pre-2019. So our compound annual growth rate for uh, asphalt consumption between 2023 and 2027 sits at just 0.5%. That compares to 1.3% in the five-year period from 2015 to 2019. Thank you, James. Uh, But what about the supply side? Kevin already touched upon uh, some of the some of the factors that were contributing to lower supply, like the feedstock availability, um, that has an impact in the short term. Are there any factors that are contributing to the long term uh, supply availability? And what um, what do you think about the supply availability in the longer time frame in the next uh, five five years or so? Hmm. Yeah, I think there's probably two two key topics to talk about on the supply side in terms of the outlook. I think the first is probably a continuation of the theme we've been seeing over the last few years, and that is one of refinery capacity closures. So the the latest we've now included in the asphalt annual 
was the closure of VTTI's Antwerp refinery. That closed in February 2022. And that comes on the back of several other refinery closures. So Galp's 110,000 barrels per day Porto refinery, Neste's 56,000 barrels per day Nantali refinery, and Total's 100,000 barrels per day Grand Puy refinery. All three of those have, have closed in recent times. And so we've seen the capacity within Western Europe, at least, fall to, to quite low levels. So at the end of 2023, we think the bitumen capacity, the asphalt production capacity within the region is going to fall to just less than 19 million tonnes per year. That compares to, say, 2015, which, according to our figures, was the peak of uh, asphalt production capacity, which was 23 million tonnes per year. So that's a decline of around 4 million tonnes per year, or equivalent to an 18% decline. So that, yeah, that's quite a, a steep fall in capacity. What we think is that probably the remaining capacity will run at a slightly higher level of utilisation. So over the forecast between 2023 and 2027, we have an average utilisation rate of 73%. That compares to 68.5% uh, across the previous decade, so from 2010 to 2019. Nevertheless, despite a slightly higher utilisation rate, we are still seeing lower production levels. So we think production is going to be just less than 14 million tonnes per year compared to 15.3 million tonnes per year again in the last decade. So certainly we are going to see a lower production outlook as a result of all of these refinery closures. I think then the second interesting point on the supply side, again, McCabans mentioned this, was the, the loss of Ural's imports into Europe. And what we saw was that Europe looked to the US to replace a lot of those crude, crude imports. So just some figures from Vortexa, which is a, a vessel tracking company that we use to, to look at seaborne trade. What we saw pre-conflict, pre-Ukraine conflict, was that Urals was making up around 22% of Europe's crude imports. That's now, of course, essentially fallen to zero. But as I've said, it was it was USWTI was the crude that made up a lot of those those lost barrels. So pre-conflict, WCI was making up around 7% of Europe's crude imports. That has now surged to 28%. Uh, and of course, WCI is a lighter crude than Euros. And so this will undoubtedly be tightening the residue balance within the region. But it'll be interesting to see whether that will result in lower production of asphalt or what I what I think will probably be the case is we'll actually see a tightening fuel market as opposed to a tighter asphalt market. And I think we've already started to see that this year. Fuel oil cracks in Europe have strengthened quite significantly in dollar per barrel terms. They're just single digit discounts to benchmark crudes now. Um, but I guess it's going to be a bit of an equilibrium. If fuel oil tightens too much, I guess that will end up taking residue away from asphalt production units. And so we might end up seeing a tighter asphalt market as well. But that's going to be a really interesting development to keep our eyes on over the next 
over the next few months and and couple of years to see what exactly the the change in crude slate will mean for for European asphalt. Thank you. That was quite interesting. Any any thoughts about the balance? Because we kind of touched upon the demand side and the supply side. Anything you would say about the surplus and uh, availability for maybe some of the export markets? Yeah, so despite those changes on the demand and supply side, essentially we're seeing the the balance, the net export position of Europe remaining fairly unchanged compared to our previous report. So demand, as we've talked about, is facing pressures and we, we see a, a lower demand outlook, but we're also seeing lower production outlook as well. And so both those things are essentially offsetting each other. And so we do expect the, the region to remain uh, a net exporter of, of asphalts. Uh, we're forecasting net exports of around 2.3 million tonnes per year over the forecast horizon. So just to put that into context, it's not too far from, say, 2021 net export levels, which we can see as around 2.5 million tonnes, although it is slightly down on pre-COVID levels, where between 2015 and 2019, net exports averaged around 3.6 million tonnes uh, from the West European region. So, yeah, like I say, I think net exports continue to remain fairly robust, kind of as a result of demand and supply losses, more or less offsetting each other. Okay, I actually wanted to ask you something, um, uh, if I may, Irina. Uh, I think we've seen anyway that, uh, you know, in terms of sub-Saharan African countries, how much... Uh, uh, the picture is very mixed, but many of them have been badly impacted uh, both by COVID and the post-COVID economic impact and in terms of, the, again, their finances and uh, their cost energy and other costs and uh, budgetary pressures there and also many uh, experiencing dollar uh, and currency issues which, uh, hinder, which are hindering their trade and, uh, and, and their investments. Uh, but uh, I just wonder what your view is uh, going forward for Africa as a whole and sub-Saharan Africa maybe in particular. So for Asphalt Anio, um, we were analyzing different markets and I would, when I would be talking about Africa, I would just group it as a continent, uh, if, I, if I may. So all these factors that you just mentioned, the inflationary pressure, the unstable exchange rates, uh, significant increase in uh, the prices of all commodities, asphalt included, contributed to a lackluster demand growth. For Africa. So uh, the demand growth that we assume is just 1.9% to 2027, which typically for Africa is uh, at least 3 to 5%. So the outlook has been significantly reduced compared to the, to the previous years because um, the combination of uh, COVID-19 pressures on the economic environments as well as the Ukraine crisis and the price spikes resulting from that uh, contributed to um, a lot of projects being delayed or um, the budgets being renegotiated. Many announced projects uh, have been either cancelled or postponed. So we think that um, the consumption is going to grow at a significantly reduced rate. Uh, also, just looking at the past couple of years, bitumen demand in Africa 
was already 1% lower in 2022 compared to 2021. And we think um, the growth is going to come uh, only around 25 onwards. So the next couple of years are going to be still relatively low growth periods uh, because the markets are still adjusting. There are some availability of supply and with the quite high um, freight rates, it's getting significantly more expensive to import to some of the economies. Yes, that's very true. I can see the same, yeah, the same outlook seems to resonate uh, with, uh, you know, the market participants we talked to across Africa. And uh, yeah, it seems like a challenging time ahead for the, you know, for the coming couple of years, certainly. Uh, and the freight rates, of course, are a very big factor in terms of the high uh, rates and rising rates that have been spiralingly high rates uh, for uh, bitumen tankers. Of course, there's a container shipping is a bit different because uh, the, that crisis, which was linked to COVID directly, of course, and uh, container shipping rates shot up, uh, you know, uh, now those rates are coming down quite dramatically again. So that might help in terms of some, the cost of some flows, you know, um, into uh, some many African countries that rely more on those kind of movements of bitutainers and drums, for example. But yes, overall, the picture doesn't look optimistic at the moment. Yes, I think one of the exceptions is probably um, new capacity coming on stream. So in Egypt, we saw that there was a, a new unit, seven, 720 KT uh, bitumen unit came on stream uh, last year. So hence, there is a lower availability um, that is required for the imports into Egypt and EGPC cancelling uh, the tenders that they, they were previously issuing. So maybe some uh, domestic supply can help, but that is relatively limited. With some of the other markets, as you were saying, South Africa lost quite a lot of capacity. So that is going to continue looking for uh, imports. So I think overall, um, it looks like um, the supply side uh, of the things is uh, is going to be relatively different from region from subregion to subregion. So, in uh, North Africa, there is uh, uh, an easier situation, whereas with South Africa, there is uh, quite a lot of new imports. But when you're looking at the region as a whole, uh, we assume that uh, in the forecast period, there is going to be a 4.6% uh, increase in production from 2022 to 2027, but that is mainly driven by this EGPC um, Suez refinery that came on stream. And if there are any other potential projects, like there are quite a few projects in Nigeria um, with natural bitumen, if that comes on stream or if uh, any of the of the refineries that were temporarily shut come back on stream, then potentially that is going to increase. So uh, the the numbers look quite nice and optimistic uh, on the supply side uh, for some of the countries, at least for Egypt, definitely. But um, uh, in terms of overall picture, uh, it seems like there is going to be a continuation of a relatively relatively tight balance.
Yes, yes, and the continuing reliance on all these import flows, which are from quite long distances in many cases, uh, uh, generating high costs, of course, in terms of delivered uh, product. Yes, that's, I think that's uh, that's pretty much where we are at the moment, and uh, uh, that pretty much uh, sums up uh, the mood, I think, at the moment, uh, uh, whether it's Europe and perhaps more a little bit more into the future for Africa as well. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I think that uh, that was quite enlightening. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope to be back with you again uh, soon with another update, uh, this time on the America's markets. And for any further information about the bitumen coverage, you can check our Argus bitumen publication that uh, uh, Kayvon was representing today and Argus Asphalt Annual 2023 that James and I were covering. To learn more about Argus Consulting Services, you can visit www.argusmedia.com/consulting. Thank you so much, and hope to see you again. Bye.